on this episode of Quantum Week, December 19th through 25th, 1993. Welcome to Quantum Week. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week in a random year of our life, and we talk about the movies, the music, the history, everything happening during that time period to make it unique. And today, we are in uh, December 19th or 25th, 1993 with Tombstone and Daughter. We got a big one today, man. It is a big one. This is Tombstone. People have been. Uh, this is a, a cult classic for sure, and and Pearl Jam as well. But uh, you want to get right into Tombstone? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, what's your take of this movie? In general, yeah, B plus. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. Um, this is a good movie, not a great movie. Uh, we're gonna get into behind the scenes. Can of- we say wait, wait? A very good movie, not a great movie, but a very good movie. I would agree. A okay, very okay. good. Good, movie. good, good. Because I do want to elevate it above some of the other ones. And it was hard for me to, you, you know, I've got some history with this one. Yes. And I've got Doc Holliday on my fucking you wall. Do. Val Kilmer as uh, Doc Holliday. We'll have to tweet that out, but yes. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, you know, I've seen this movie a lot. This is, I, I love this movie as a younger guy. And so it's hard for me to not give it an A minus, but B plus. Yeah, I agree. And I'm right on that fence too. Okay, it's cool. closer to an A minus than a straight B for me. Um, right on. This is a, this is a, this is a very good movie. Absolutely good. right. Okay. Uh, has some, Huge problems, but it, it is it is a very good movie. I think, and we'll get into behind the scenes stuff later. Yeah. I think the behind the scenes stuff is almost more interesting than than the movie, um, on, on some levels. Uh, this movie is uh, has one of the greatest supporting actor roles that was never nominated for. An You're Oscar talking about ever. Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer is Doc Holliday. So good. Did not get nominated for an Oscar. Completely bullshit that he never got Did nominated. you happen to look at who else did? We can I tweet didn't. it out later if you did. Yeah, I time. didn't. I yeah. forgot. Uh, no, but it's the. It, He's he's phenomenal in this. Um, is it maybe his best role? I can't think of anything he's done better. He was good in Heat, good in Top Gun, but you know the Top Gun role. Yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't. Not, you know, right. I, I'm not a big fan of the Doors. Um, no, it's okay. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the band either. So that yeah, movie didn't really click yeah. for me. <laughs> right, Val Kilmer's good. He's good in a lot of things. He's a good actor. He is a um, good actor, but I can't think of a role that he's better in. I couldn't. I mean, he was in like, uh, yeah, like he was on in kind of some kid movies there. Uh, not not kid movies where he's like a genius movie. He's a genius. I can't remember what that one is. Oh it's yeah, younger. right in the eighties. In the eighties, like one of his first roles. Yeah, yes, exactly. Right. And then Top Gun, and then um, he he, he was know, in he, a Saint later on, which wasn't very good. Yeah, he does that Island of Doctor Moreau with Marlon Brando. Oh, that shit, was kind yeah. of a disaster. Right. Um, no, he. I mean, he's. He, but he. He is a good act. He's in a movie called Out of Sight, where he plays a blind guy with <laughs> yeah, Rio right. Sorvino. Right. He's done some bad movies for sure. Uh, he's done, made some odd choices in his S- career. Sounds like he shot himself in the foot too. Maybe he had drugs and alcohol problem. Or yeah, something? he's. And then he did. Uh, uh, he had some throat cancer. And, oh uh, yeah. Okay. Recently, right. um, he just wrote an autobiography. I haven't read it yet. Um, but, but this no, role, he's had a really interesting career. Yeah, he has. Um, and this role, he's he's phenomenal. Phenomenal. He's really good. Uh, I do want to look up. Um, yeah, so, take a so look. Bam, it, why don't you give it your synopsis here? Yeah, sure. And in the meantime. So it's, you know, it's some parts historical, but probably a most mostly fiction take on Wyatt Earp. So Wyatt Earp is a famous lawman. Uh, Wyatt and his brothers, they meet up in Tombstone, Arizona, looking to make a fortune uh, in the late 18, I think it's 1879. At that time, Tombstone is up and coming because of the silver mines, but they're being terrorized by a group of thugs called the Cowboys. I don't know if this is just like general cowboys or whatever, but the cowboys. The cowboys, yes. Not um, the Dallas cowboys. But. No, no. Right. Uh, at first, the Earps keep to themselves, but eventually they have to step in and confront them um, with their buddy Doc Holliday. All right, so let's go through who got nominated first. Yeah, tell me, tell okay. me, tell me. So Tommy Lee Jones won for The Fugitive. For our best supporting. Yes. He was good. He's really good now. Yeah. I think, I think uh, he's really good in that. He's good. Uh, I'll, I'll yeah. him and Val Kilmer are the same boat, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio for What's Eating Gilbert Grape. I don't remember. I do he's remember very the role, good. but he's I don't remember. He's very good. He I think Kilmer's better. Uh, uh, Ray Fines for Schindler's List. Okay, who's very good? Yep. Um, John Malkovich written the Line of Fire, which we t- did. We talk about that movie. We haven't yet. That's uh, a good movie. I love it's that a good movie. movie, and Malkovich is good in it. Val yeah. Kilmer's better in Tombstone. Probably. I haven't seen that. Forever. Um, and then Pete Postlewaite for In the Name of the Father. Uh, mm. I, I remember. Yep, yep, yep. Um, they're in jail. 
Is that what it is? Yeah, they believe Postlewaite's in jail. Yeah, um, but I mean Val Kilmer. I, it's it's hard to say. Postlewaite's that's a, so that's a good group for sure. It is. Um, there's no real stinker in that. But group. Val, wait, Val wasn't nominated. No, that's bullshit. That's what I mean. It's, I think this is the greatest one of the greatest role supporting roles, actor or actress, that was never nominated. Yeah, he's a complete standout in this film. He's phenomenal. He's awesome. And Kurt Russell's good in it too. But it's a different yes, role. Is good. It's a much totally more different like, role. stoic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Val Kilmer, anytime he's on the screen, it's electric. He's really good in this. So he, he's <laughs> like, he's the definition of like a great supporting actor. Absolutely. This movie, uh, this movie is, uh, I love how it's um, it's shot on location, which is phenomenal. Uh, a Beautiful lot of scenery. Shot in Arizona. I've, yeah. So I've been to the real Tombstone. I have not. I've definitely been to Arizona, but I've, I didn't stop. It's Tombstone. really cool. I don't know. So I went in the late 90s, so I don't know yeah. if it's still the case, but they have it set up. Like, like dusty roads with the same buildings. Yeah, the same buildings. And they recreate the okay crowd like every hour on the hour. Oh, do they? So you get to walk, and it's really cool, and it's fun to walk through this. I'm also, personally, I love like Western America. Me too. Like, I want to move out there. Like, that's where I want to retire. Like, it's like I, I went um, to uh, a job funk, like a. a it was winter was meetings. Conference? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. For, for baseball. I went, uh, for work, uh, my previous job and yeah. it was in Las Vegas and everyone went home. Like I'm going to hang out out West for a couple of days afterwards. Cause it was December. There wasn't a lot going on at work. So sure. I just took a few days. So I went to like the Mojave desert and I saw the Joshua trees yep. and I just drove around like the openness and like the vastness. And I just think it's beautiful out it there. Is beautiful. Like, I really love the West. And totally different than what we're used to here. I think oh, that's yeah. the thing is to see that stark difference where it's so lush and green. It's like being a different planet. It's, it's a t totally different it's, planet. It's wild. Yeah. Um, so I really, so I, anytime, you know, I, I also love a, I, you know, a great Western, you know, the, um, the 310 yeah. to Yuma remake is phenomenal. Yep. A hell of high water. I consider a Western. That's probably the best modern Western, mm. um, you know, in the last few years and Tombstone is phenomenal. This is, this is a, a, a very good movie. This is enjoyable. It's fun. It's a little long. It's a little long. Like after the okay corral, you still have about 45 minutes left, maybe 50 minutes left. I actually don't mind the second half of the movie. No, my, I don't either. My biggest issue, I'm going to see the same yeah. biggest issue. My biggest issue by far is the Dana Delaney stuff. That, which one, which one is she? She's so the, that's, uh, she's that's the his actress? new wife. And new becomes wife. his new wife. Yeah, yeah, right. When there's there are scenes, they, the two of them, the dialogue is terrible. It is. It it's is. It's really Yeah, bad. the way they flirt is odd. Um, and there's so much good dialogue in this movie. Um, oh, memorable Some lines. great quotes, you know. Uh, I'm your Huckleberry. Which See, is the, good. But, the, but the, no, the whole scene between Kirk Russell and Billy Bob Thornton, when he fucking stands up to him as a bully, yep. those lines are phenomenal. Do you, can I just read some of these to you? I'm read just, them. I'm just going to read some to you. Hold on. Let me, uh, let me find it. Find it, find it, find it. Um, so Kirk Russell, Wild Earp goes up to, uh, Billy, uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character is named Johnny Tyler. So Earp goes up to Tyler in the saloon. Okay. Uh, and he, the Tyler's being a bully. He's basically like, no one goes to the saloon anymore because he's a bully. And, or decides he wants to take care of it. So he goes up to him, looks at him, stares at him. Tyler looks back and says like, you got a problem? And uh, Earp says, just want to let you know you're sitting in my chair. And they have a little bit of a back and forth. Uh, and, uh, and, and Tyler says to him, uh, that you got some big words from you when you haven't come healed, meaning you ha you're not packing a pistol. And Earp says, don't need to come healed to get the bulge on a tub like you. And they argue a little bit more and, and Tyler gets up or whatever uh, and threatening to, to draw his, his gun. And Earp says, go ahead and skin it go ahead and skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. It's crazy. And then he, uh, wider slaps him a couple times and, 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 and Tyler's just standing there. Cause he's, he's a complete fucking bully, like complete bully. And he, he slaps him and he goes, you're going to do something or just stand there and bleed. Like that whole scene is so fucking So good. get this. Billy Bob Thornton's lines were all improvised. I saw that too. It's so yeah. Cool. Like, so they, they told him the only note he had was just be a bully, be a bully. And, um, and Thornton, obviously he wrote Sling Blade. Thornton is a phenomenal writer. He hadn't written it yet. I don't know if someone knew that he was a screenwriter and that's why they kind of gave him that, that, yeah. that bandwidth or if, and we'll talk about in the making of the, the, the this was a very chaotic filming. Yeah. Um, yep. and, uh, and, and it was just kind of maybe just chaos. And he just said, please just, just do what you can here. Uh, Russell thought that, that Kilmer had all the good lines in this film, but that scene is one of the best scenes. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a great be scene. one of the best scenes in, in cinema. It's an amazing scene. I, the, I forget the exact give and take, but when uh, Doc Holliday, uh, it's like, oh, it's, uh, Johnny Ringo makes makes fun of him for friends, or oh, I've got a lot of friends, and Doc Holliday says, I oh, don't. Yeah. I don't. And right. that's like a really, and this, there's two things this movie means to me, or two things this movie may be trying to get across that really speak to me. And what is, one is obviously the relationship between uh, Doc Holliday and Wider. Fr male friendship, you yep. know, and what it means and, and what it means to have like best friends, what yep. it means to have the value of friendship. 
The other thing this movie means to me is what happens, you know, the day Superman wants to put the cape away? Can he truly retire? Sure. Can you stop being a hero? Is that possible? Um, and the movie kind of tackles both these issues, I think, really well. Yeah. And, you know, we learn that Wyatt Earp, that a hero really can't stay retired. No, because the same thing that got you into it in the first place. Like, you see, you see, you know, justice not being done, and you have to step in. It's the moral move. Um, Eyes Wide Shut is uh, the Stanley Kubrick movie with Tom Cruise. So Love that film. Uh, I also do love it. Yeah. And I don't think- His last film, right? It's Kubrick's last film, correct. Yeah. yeah, he actually died before it was released. Uh, it was, it, it would sound like it was roughly pretty much done, but. Yeah. Um, so that movie, a lot of people talk about the sexual nature of it because it has organs. Yeah, of stuff, course, yeah. But I don't think it's really about that. Right? It's not how I take the movie. I take an Eyes Wide Shut oh. as what happens if Bruce Willis doesn't go in the building? What happens if the hero sees the trouble, but then decides he's not a hero, wants to just live a normal life? You yeah. Know? And I think a lot of people, most people choose the Tom Cruise route in that movie, which is basically this bad stuff going on, but I'm not going to get involved. Right. Um, most people don't be the hero, but this movie kind of takes the hero and says, like, all right, what if the hero doesn't want to be involved anymore? And he, but he can't, you, a leopard can't change his, his spot. So he, he remains the hero. He can't turn his, he can't turn his head for too long and he becomes but at the end of the movie, he's you know stricken obviously with revenge as well for his oh, brother. Of yeah. But he becomes obsessed with with saving the day. Did you find that it, it odd though that it was Earp's brothers that really brought him back to the fight though? Because why it wasn't that he was probably you would well, think well it's real life. Is that what really, really happened? happened? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, but. Virgil really was the the the, the main guy there. And, yeah. Uh, Wyatt Earp, it sounds like wasn't as famous necessarily as. He is in this movie. I mean, it seemed like he, he lived an interesting life, though. He did a bunch of different things. He became and, famous after yeah, this. Yeah, right. And he also could write, and he also had some other things that right. helped him. Um, he had a wild life, like an insane, insane life. But there were some things that were true, like Maddie, his first wife, which is one of the strangest roles in it any was. movie. She's, yeah. she, you can tell this movie's written by someone. You know, this movie's written by a man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's just, It's just insane, like, how insensitive they are toward the Maddie character. Very insensitive. Because they, they give you no background about no. Her, her medical illness. She's just a drug addict, like, right away. And, like, <laughs> and he, Wyatt Earp, like, I, I always say, I love to see the movie from Maddie's perspective. Yeah. Wyatt Earp would be a villain. I, he, I treats her, so. he treats no, her terribly. I think he tra well, okay, so, eventually, I don't blame, so, one of the things I found interesting in this movie is that there is a spectrum of good and bad. Kind of in all the in most of the characters, you do have people on the wide sides of things. So Ringo's obviously a sociopath, but there's a lot of people who are starting to trend a little bit more towards the middle, have some bad things. Like Earp going on a revenge tour and just killing people because they have a red sash. Ooh, that's, a, that's, that's pretty sketchy. That's sketchy. But the, how he dealt with, with Maddie, I thought was not unreasonable at all. It, the way that I felt about it is he, he tried, he kept trying with her, trying with her. And she was just kind of a miserable bitch. Well, how long do you have? Like, how long do you but have like, in the even movie? Like, right away, he's like, he's We're like, going to see so like a half hour of that relationship. Like, no. Well, I, well, that will play into more of what we'll talk about. They're making of. So there was more on the bone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But at least when this, how this movie is finally cut, the final cut of this movie, she's like, can you come home? He's like, no, I'm going to go hang out. Like he just, he, he basically, any chance he has to shrug her you're off. You're right. That one time, but then he turned it, but then he's like, no, you're right. You're right. I'll, let me stay with you. I'm sorry. Yeah. But then she was like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I need to get stoned again. <laughs> she's stoned the whole time. The whole movie. She's never not doing no, drugs. She's yeah. She's it's pretty. It, yeah, I can't imagine. I don't know. It was just, it was just. It seems like it was a very one note written. Totally. Role. Yeah, there was probably more to that. They go out of their way yeah. to make it okay for Kurt Russell to cheat on her with Dana Delaney. They, they do. do everything they, they do. can to make this woman as unlikable as possible. But they also don't show him cheating on her. I mean, emotionally, yes, but they right. don't show any physical anything until after after it's done, like right. after he's left, basically left Maddie. Meanwhile, Maddie, and that was true. She does die of a drug in real life. She yeah, does, I, you know, yeah, a, a few years later, her. dies in Arizona and just yeah, and White Earp goes on to become you know, famous, famous, you know, really famous. Yeah. She um, was, she was the ball and chain. I guess so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, um, so we, we, I also love powers booth in this movie. He's awesome. He is so good. Like he's any really powers booth is a good actor. Yeah. But better than, some, better than bean was as Ringo and Ringo was pretty good. See, I think he's pretty good. Ringo is pretty good, but, but think, there was some stuff, but powers booth I thought was Bean's eyes in this movie are great. Yes, he looks they are. crazed. Well, and they do a good job at that. Like during the dual scenes, they're going from eyes. Like you see Doc yeah. Holliday's eyes to very samurai ish, very seven samurai yes, like type is. of filming. Right. But, but you're right. His eyes are he's phenomenal. Great. Uh, yeah. Powers booth is so, so good. good. Yeah. 
It's almost like upsetting when he because he dies with like a half hour left. So you're like, oh man, like I he, know because you want to see more of him because he's such a, a such a kind of he's better than being this. He because you want him to be the final bad guy. Yep, you do. Um, but he's and Powers Booth is good in a lot of things. He's been yeah. in 24. He's been in a lot of things. Um, uh, but he in this though with that mustache, he just looks. <laughs> he looks great. Perfect. Yeah. And there's even like I know there's even like gifts of him. You know, he died a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but there's even like gifts of him now of like you know uh, of uh, him saying uh, yeah was it that oh bye. Like that him bye. saying bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so dismissive. That, but it's such a weird line <laughs> reading. Like, but it's but he he's he's so good in this. He, he just is. looks the part. He looks how I imagine cowboys looked. Totally. Yeah. Uh, Do you know who else was good? Was Stephen Lang. He's very good. Who plays Ike? Uh, and who, he, who he looks. Is, you can't even know it's him. I didn't know it was him because I know him from much like, like he was an Avatar. He was yep. kind of like the bad guy general yes. in Avatar way different character and actually one of one of my favorite things he's in is uh is a tv show called into the badlands which is uh it's an a and e kind of post-apocalyptic martial arts uh tv show it's really okay. good and he's in that and he's he's really good in that field I, I didn't i didn't know it was him until i like saw the picture looking through the cast but he's great as like kind of that political coward wants power will go to the winner side kick you like never fights fair just that complete yeah. we all like know someone like this like him right and he's just phenomenal he's really goodness he, he he's 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 a lot of fun bill paxton not as great nah he's um, kind of in the background and it's tough because he's with you know sam sam, sam elliott who is <laughs> phenomenal and he who's really good he's he's very good uh this is like a role made for him he's like he's the stability kind yeah, of yeah he is film. but that's like what he does i mean yeah, that's exactly. where he plays yeah. the older brother you know, uh, he was, uh, he's, he's also the same kind of role in a star is born. I didn't see that film, but I believe no. It. Oh, he, I just don't, I don't care about it. Why? Most of the music films I have a hard time with like Bohemian Rhapsody. I think we talked about this too. Usually they don't do a good job with the music portion of it. And it pisses me off. Well, stars born is a fiction. It's, it's yeah, you're right. You're right. And, well, I don't really care about any of the people in that film. That's part of it. You like, don't, I don't care about that. What do you mean? You're I don't okay. really, I'm not a lady Gaga type of guy. I don't, I'm just not a big it's a good movie. Check it out. You really should watch. It's it's a good movie. It's Maybe a really we'll good movie. Maybe we'll get to it on the podcast. And I'll have to. And I'll have to watch it. I think you should watch it. I'll it's good. It. Uh, Sam Elliott plays an older brother who's. We'll go. It. We'll go quid pro quo. You watch something I want you to watch. I'll watch something you. Uh, you the want yeah, the watch. only difference is I'm asking you to watch good movies. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, the Sam Elliott though he's he's like really good. <laughs> you had me there. Right? He's a really good older brother role. He's really yeah. good in that in that uh, right that role of stability. Uh, you know, kind of that that. Uh, marker in the sand. He's very good in the, as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Kurt Russell is is very stoic. He never tries to do too much. He's he's enjoyable, but it is odd with such an ensemble movie. You do have some people, obviously Val Kilmer is you know hitting grand slams, so good. But yeah. then you have some people that maybe aren't as up to the challenge, and and they do get exposed. I will say it's one of the weirdest cameos ever in this movie. The Charlton Heston. With Charlton one. Heston. Yeah. What, what I think what it was just a little here? nod to him. That's what it felt like. And like, it's fine. Hey, let's get but it's so, what it, talk about a thankless role. It he just happens to own, he has one like tough guy line at the end. He's like, <laughs> yeah. well, if they come after him. They got to get through us. But well, maybe there was more of that too, actually. Oh, that was Jar Jari filmed that. Uh, yes, he did. Yeah. So, yeah, we're getting right. to that in a bit. Um, anything else about the actors before we get in kind of the it's making just the movie? Such a huge cast too. Like huge cast. so many. Oh my God. So and so many people who hadn't yet become stars that became right, stars. Right. Huge cast. Billy Zane was in this fucking film. Michael Rooker, Jason Priestley. Yeah. Um, oh, John Corbett. John Corbett. Oh, um, uh, Tam Thomas Hayden Church, who got nominated for an Oscar That's later right. on his career. Terry I mean, O'Quinn from Lost. From Lost, right. Tons of people. Who looks great. Like, he Frank looks Stallone. like a cowboy. He does. Yeah, he looks He looks Frank great. Stallone. Frank like, Stallone. The weirdest cast. Yeah. Um, it's a, What a strange cast, right? And I was surprised the budget was so small based on how many well, of I'll these actors are in it. Do you want to get million. into the making of it? Uh, or do you have any other last notes on this? No, that's good. Yeah, go, go right Okay. Ahead. Yeah. We're going to do it. If you want to interject, you can, but I, yeah. I do want to kind of tell a story. Yeah, sure. It is phenomenal. So Kurt Russell uh, has, growing up, always wanted to make a, a movie about Tombstone, about OK Corral. OK. So he's on a skiing trip with uh, a producer friend of his, Andrew, uh, I want to pronounce his name right. It's V-A-J-N-A, Vagna. <laughs> I'm not going to help you with that. All right. I'm on my own. Uh, so him it's and the Vanya. Him and the Vag are, are just, you know, <laughs> just, you know hit, hitting the slopes. And uh, they, uh, they, Kurt Russell tells me, he's like, I've always wanted to make a, a movie about the OK Corral. And, and Andrew uh, Vagna says, I, I have too. I've always wanted to do that too. I'll tell you what, I'll produce it for you. I'll give you 25 million. 
So he goes home, and Kurt Russell uh, has a brother-in-law that's a movie producer. I don't know why he didn't go to him first. Yeah, okay. right, right. I, I don't know that part of the story. So he, and he says, can I, can I do this? Is this possible? And they kind of crunch the numbers. He says, yeah, it's going to be really tight, but you can do it. Okay. Um, so yeah. he's like, all right, cool. So he, at the same time, Kevin Costner is making the Wyatt Earp movie. Right. That comes out six months after. And bombs. Um, bombs. Bombs, yeah. Uh, with Gene Hackman, Dennis Quaid. I know. That, good, that, good should, cast. that should have that been it. Yeah. So uh, at the time, uh, Kevin Costner had way more clout in Hollywood yeah, than Kurt Russell. Then. Like way more. This is yeah. a few years after Dance with Wolves. Waterworld had, I don't know if it had. No, came, it was later. Had, had it not come I, out? I think it was later. It, was, it might have been the middle. It might have been just when it was coming out. But regardless. Yeah. So um, basically he was shopping Earp to studios. But part of the deal was, hey, if, um, if you're even talking with me, you cannot consider any other um, okay corral type movies because he knew Kurt Russell was shopping Tombstone. I see. One studio was willing, did not want to take wide urban says, I, I'm all set. And it was uh, Buena Vista Disney. Uh. So Buena Vista Disney uh, went to uh, Kurt Russell and said, all right, we know we, if you got, you have a, you have a producer, you're all set. We'll distribute it for you. It's great. Awesome. He says, well, we're, uh, Kurt Russell's like, we're going to have Willem Dafoe play Doc Holliday. And hmm. uh, Buena Vista says, well, no, we, we like Val Kilmer. And if you don't, take Val Kilmer, we're not going to distribute this. That was their line in the sand? Yep. Weird. And they had, Gudu had nowhere else they could shop it because of the Kevin Costner. So says, they were fucked. Says, you know what? We like Val Kilmer too. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. sounds great. Right. So they get Kevin Jari, who had just written, uh, he written Glory. Um, Which I really like. And he wrote, uh, Cobra, of, Cobra, uh, uh, First Blood Part he wrote 2. First Blood Part 2, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jari had always wanted to direct. Um, Jari's stepfather was in um, film. I think he's a he's a uh, I think he's a composer. Uh, but he always wanted to direct, and he and yeah. he's like, this is his. And all the times writers do end up getting a chance to direct, and he uh, so they they go on set, and it is instant instant disaster. Yeah, seems like he was just way in over his head. It's bad right from the top. Yeah. Um, it's 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 a real problem. He couldn't get shots on time. He didn't know the right cameras to use. It was like a complete. Fuck up. And Kurt Russell was like, oh my God, I really put my neck on the line for this. Yeah. Um, and he's starting to panic and he took, he took Jari aside. He says, they're going to fire you. Like, you got to get your shit together. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And Jari's like, I'm trying. I'm just, I just can't. He was, and it's a great cautionary tale here of like, just because you're good at one role doesn't mean you're good at something else. No, it takes its own skill set. You have to learn. Of course it does. The other levels of things. Being yeah. a writer is completely different than directing a movie. Yeah. It's a pr project management is what. Being a director is beyond other things. Like yeah. you need to make sure the whole thing's running. You also need to be able to work with people and sure. write, writing. Yep. You're very solitary. This is a completely different, uh, completely different thing. And Jari just couldn't do it. And um, it sound it, it really this movie really broke him. Um, so he did write it, and his script also was quite long. Um, so sure enough, Buena Vista came in, and they saw that it was a complete disaster. I think so what happens? Do they, do they come on set and are like, what they the were seeing? The, they were this? seeing the dailies or in this case, not seeing the dailies. Oh, so what happens okay. is every time you make a movie, you have to submit basically what your day's work to the studios. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, they're unedited. They're really raw. They're not, they're not great, but they're, they're just basically just saying, sure. Hey, you know, uh, we're giving you 25 million There's or whatever. Or in this case, they already had a uh, producer, but I think even Vagina was like, um, what the fuck's going on with this? Yeah. Um, okay. and, uh, so, you know, they can't, um, you know, they, they fired him and it broke him. He died. Um, he ended up writing, uh, he wrote, he helped write The Mummy, which made a lot of money. Yep. But, um, and he wrote um, The Devil's Own as well. That's right, yeah. Uh, but other than that, he never, he never, I mean, he's basically was, uh, he became like uh, like a cautionary tale, a laughing stock almost. Yeah, and he died yeah. uh, uh, in his 50s of uh, heart yeah, failure. Yeah, like 54. So yeah, he's like young, a broken he's heart. Young. I think, I really think, I really, I don't know the guy personally, so who knows, maybe I'm being dramatic with it, but it seems like he always wanted to do these this thing and they finally gave him a chance to do it and he On failed. On the big stage? He he failed, he failed in such a giant scale that he's, I mean, he's talking about today in, in Hollywood and in the industry of like someone who's like, what's the example of someone who, uh, you know, bit off more than they could chew? It's sure, Kevin yeah. Jarrett. He's become right. like a punchline. So right, right. George Cosmos, uh, Cosmatos comes in. Now uh, I'm going to call him George guy. I always fuck up his last Cosmatos name. is a tough one. Um, so <laughs> Kurt Russell. So basically they fire Jarrett and Kurt Russell needs a director and Kurt Russell's kind of has neck on the line. He reached out to his old Tango and Cash buddy. Sylvester Stallone. Fucking, t I forgot about that stupid film. So Stallone told him, hey, I have a director for you that won't really direct. Because uh, oh. Kurt Russell's like, I want to really take hold of this movie. This is uh, completely off the rails. I have a vision. I want to do this. This is a fucking disaster. And Stallone's like, so when I did um, first, when I did, uh, I'm sorry, when I did, was it Rambo, right? Rambo, uh, it's First Blood Part Two, so yeah. Rambo, yep. Uh, I directed that movie. 
George really basically what happened was I would give George the storyboards every night. He then would direct to my storyboards really? worked out perfectly. And so Kurt Russell made the same, went to this guy, George said made the same deal. And George said, you can, he's like, you can, we can do that. That works, but please, I don't, I don't want this announced until after I'm dead. Once I'm dead, you can, you can say whatever you, can you say want. Whatever you can tell, you can tell the truth of this movie. Meanwhile, they're only 10 years apart. So it's kind of a strange, yeah, but yeah, all right, fine. <laughs> but that was the deal. And, um, so they make the movie, uh, Kurt Russell seriously is, is sending him storyboards for yeah. him to shoot every day. So, um, they, they end up completing the movie. It is done on budget. It is kind of, it is, it is kind of a disastrous shoot. Everyone in like uh, the main actors seemed to know Kurt Russell was in charge. It seemed to Val. I read an, an article with, uh, it was an interview with Val Kilmer. And he, he said, it doesn't quite say that much, but it, he alludes to it. Well, Co George does die relative in his sixties. He died in 2004. And okay. then a couple years later, uh, Kurt Russell is doing press for our favorite movie, Poseidon. Yes. And they pull him aside. And I'll, um, I'll tweet this interview. This is where I got a lot of this information from. It's really interesting. Yeah. And uh, that's when Russell kind of admitted that he had, but that got kind of a blowback. And people were like, that's kind of shitty to do after this guy's dead. So Val Kilmer came to Russell's defense years later and said, no, I was on set every day. Kurt Russell. He was putting this in was his time, movie. day like, and he, night. Yeah, like he was all over this This was his thing. movie. Right. And, um, yeah, so Kurt Russell does not have a directing credit. The writing credit went to Kevin Jari. Yes. They did take 20 pages out of the script I when heard, they changed directors. Yeah, because Russell was helping with the rewrites too. Right, so Russell yeah. basically edited the script. movie, yeah. And he took out 20 pages, and a lot of that stuff had to do with the Wyatt Earp um, stuff. So uh, okay. a lot, he took, cut out a lot of his own role. He said he wanted to be kind of like a, more of an aura. So like you get the idea that Earp, you kind of know who Earp is initially. Yeah, of course. But yeah, he wanted to have other things involved with the movie, other elements involved besides himself. Plus I think he was also maybe overtaxed and basically <laughs> writing storyboards all night. <laughs> so, um, he took a lot of, and I think a lot of that stuff that they pulled out might've been stuff relationship with him and Maddie, or maybe more stuff with him and Delaney, Dana Delaney, but it was a lot of that personal stuff that they yeah. cut out. Well, oh, to his credit, I oh, go ahead. You know what scene also was edited uh, substantially was the scene after the theater when Bill Paxton's talking about what happens when you die. Yeah, I saw I that I guess that was took, much longer. Right, they talk more of God stuff and, and yes. religious and spiritual things. And, they, uh, that was pretty short. Because you figure in how it works with, with screenplays is basically a page is a minute. So every page okay. of a screenplay is roughly a minute on film. So 20, it was would have been 20 minutes longer. Ooh. Now we're at two and a half. Well, right. yeah, something like that. Yeah, it would have been like over two and a half hours. Yeah. And that's what sank Wyatt Earp because Wyatt Earp oh, is Jesus, like three, three hours, hours long. 10 minutes long and is fucking yeah. long. And this movie, I think at 2.15 is too long. They could have yeah. cut all the day. Like, uh, they could have trimmed that, a lot of that stuff down. Yeah, I guess it wasn't that important, except, I don't know, it's kind of good to know that there was a transition for Wyatt Earp because the question you posed in the beginning, can someone who was moral, like, put that shit aside? Like, do, you know, can the hero step aside and go away? And the answer is yes, and he did that. We might not have been able, we might not have seen that without the- I say the answer is kind of no, you can't. He did though. He did, he moved on, room service. They they went oh. from city to city, like- No, right. you're right, in but the movie he, they he did. Needed, he needed Dana, no, right. So in he needed Dana Delaney's character maybe, to, yeah. to finally or, put the cape away. Sure. Yeah, maybe. Um, That's that, that's fair, but I think you could have trimmed it down or just had it, it was just totally. really yeah, poorly it was, written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that, and then, uh, so George uh, Cosmatos guy has the- um, Cosmatos, I think. Cosmatos, yeah, I think my name, I think my pronunciation was Cosmo, right. Yeah, Adding Cosmatos. the guy at the end. Cosmatos. Uh, Cosmo Kramer. He <laughs> did get the uh, directing credit, sole directing credit. He did. So Jari is not on there at all for directing credit. Ooh. And all that stuff is complicated because the unions get involved. The DGA is very much like they want to make sure people What's get- the DGA? The Directors Guild okay. Association. So they want to make sure that people get credited right. Screenwriters Guild has stuff. But I think they kind of came to agreement like, all right, well, Jari's getting a screenwriting credit already. He's getting a sole credit there. Yeah. So, so Russell did not get a, uh, a credit for writing at all, which he didn't. He kind of more edited, but he didn't get, he didn't get anything at all. And he didn't get any directing credit at, at all. Do you think it burned him? Was he pissed no, about no, it? No, no, no. That was kind of the deal he made with. Okay. That was kind he of. He just wanted the movie to be right. He wanted well, the movie to be right. Good thing he did. Cause he, and he should be proud of his movie. It's a great one. Yeah. yeah. And it's really became it, it. I mean, when it came out, it did all right. Made about 50 million, 60 million. Yep. It was fine. It was, a, it was a modest hit. It, it made its money back for Buena Vista. Everyone was kind of happy, totally. but it was not a, not a huge hit. No, it, wasn't. It, it really grew uh, as a kind of a cult classic. I'd even say it's beyond that now. It's beyond a cult classic. It's become kind of like a one of the great like macho male movies of the nineties. Absolutely. Um, there's it, it, this movie really stands out as as a very unique, interesting. It might be it might be the best western of the nineties. Oh, Unforgiven. Unforgiven. But 
it's 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 in that next tier, I guess. Sure. Um, it, it's a movie that's really you know really admired by, especially by younger guys in their twenties. I think it kind of holds up more for them. The older you get, yeah. the more you're like, all right, well. Yeah. But when you're younger, I remember when I watched first saw this movie, I really loved it. I oh, I we, still like it a lot, but me and my college buddies love this film. Like that's why I watched it so much. It's got it got a lot of play on cable, and yeah. it just became kind of a it, it got a life of its own, and it, and it's become now it's become Kurt Russell's signature. I think so, right? Is that, I mean, more than escape? I wouldn't say so. Kurt Russell's not a Hall of Famer. Ooh. He's not a Hall of Famer. God damn it, dude. He's never been, he's never, he's has, he's, he's not a Hall of Famer. I mean, I'm sorry. Big he, Trouble Little China. Yes, but escape that, from New York. These are all cult. Oh, I know, but you got to put him in the Hall he's of the Famer. He's the thing. I mean, he, he's not. Oh, he's you got to put him in the thing? He's not a Hall of you're, Famer. You're destroying your argument. I'm not. He's, I'm proving that he's, he's a cult. He's a he's in the cult classic. I Hall wish of I was fame. prepared for this because then I would have I would have looked through his. Well, maybe the next time we hit Kurt Russell, we can. Yeah, talk yeah, about we it. should. We did, we did, I mean, because I, I think oh. it's also the star of Poseidon, and we kind of people do at stupid that. things. We said during Poseidon, we, you should have had a bigger star top line this. I don't remember that. <laughs> I like Kurt Russell a lot. Kurt Russell is a lot of he's in he, he's in Vanilla Sky, which is probably my favorite Kurt Russell movie. Um, yeah, uh, not a huge role, but it's it's my uh, and he's but he, and this is fun. This is a fun movie. He's very good. This Kurt Russell's a very fun actor. He's in the fun actor Hall of Fame, but he, he's, he's he's in the Hall of Very. He's good further in the in the Hall of Fame than Val Kilmer is. Yes, I agree. Okay, all right. Neither, all neither right. guy are, but Val Kilmer is a better actor than Kurt Russell is. Per, yeah, this movie. Oh yeah, I mean. Kurt yeah. Russell's never as good as Val Kilmer is in this. Probably not. Val no. Kilmer's a better actor than Kurt Russell. I'll, I'll, well, I'll, okay, so he has a higher upside, maybe, yeah. but not, I don't know about I think Kurt Russell has a better longevity. Has yeah, of it, course. Uh, right, so yeah. it's that whole uh, Sandy Koufax versus Don Sutton argument, right? And there you go. Right, but but neither of these guys are Hall of Famers, so it's more like a <laughs> Frank Tanana versus, you know, like, uh, Jeff Reardon. like Mike I don't Scott, know. you know, <laughs> high peaks, or, you know, versus a guy just around forever. Um, yeah, uh, this movie's good. Jamie Moyer would be that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, this movie's good. Um, it's good. B plus for me. I agree. Uh, I don't think we're on the bubble for me. I think it's not as good as my top five. Unfortunately, it pains me to say that. I think it's right underneath that. Same boat. It's a it probably cracked my. T- we, the thing is, we we've also. I feel we've hit a lot of really good movies. We have. Um, been very lucky. We we have. I think we've been luckier the the movies and the music. Um. So yes. So the it, if we had the same scale with the you know this was the equivalent song this would be my top five song. Yeah. But um, it just doesn't. The movies we've seen have been so good that it unfortunately doesn't hold up. Right. But uh, Tombstone, if you have, if you've never seen it, oh, watch this film. That'd be so weird to watch it now after we've talked about it for so long. But uh, <laughs> yes, check it out. But Tombstone, uh, good, not great. Very good, not great. Come on. Very good. Not okay, great. thank you. Um, so we can move on to Pearl Jam. Yes. Our, so our song this week is uh, is Daughter. Yes. Um. So. Let's talk with Pearl. Let's talk about. We'll talk about Pearl Jam first. We don't to. have. To, we don't have to do too much on. Well, you can, but I don't have too much to say on Pearl Jam because everybody fucking knows Pearl Jam. But basically, yeah. just in case, whatever. Formed in 1990, uh, Jeff Ament, Gossard, McCready. They um, they were in. Uh, well, Gossard and Ament they left Mother Love Bone because their singer OD'd, and they're writing some music and they're trying to find a fucking singer. So they do a demo that doesn't have any. It doesn't have any lyrics, doesn't have any vocals on it. Send it around. The drummer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers at the time, um, Jack Irons, sent the demo to uh, Eddie Vedder. And Vedder was singing in another band in like San Diego or whatever. Heard it, wrote some lyrics, um, sang over it, sent it back to them. Pearl Jam's born. They heard it and they're like, okay, this is really good. Those songs became Once and Alive. Two songs from 10, of course. Huge songs. Um... So they released 10 is their, is their debut album, I think in 1991. My first CD. It was definitely one of my first. My very first CD. Was it really? Yes. I think I had some others before, but this was one of my first. Um, 15 million copies. Like, you I know. thought we weren't going to talk about... You, That's you, it. You preface it with, you're not going to have a program and you start telling the biography I know, of Pearl Jam. I said, well, no, doing? I wanted to give a little bit of... I just needed... In case no one had heard of them? No, to get to verses. No, okay. this, this, yeah, right, to get to right, verses. Right. So 15 million copies, touring relentlessly. They go in the studio. Okay. Um, two years later, and they start to do Versus. Versus is the album that Daughter's on. Yes. Versus, not as big, still sold 8 million copies, yeah. was number one for a while. Right. Uh, Daughter was number one on the alternative chart, the rock chart, for like eight weeks. Mm. Huge song. Um, and actually, it was their only number one on a Billboard chart. Daughter was, hmm. which is crazy. I wouldn't have thought fucking that at all. Uh, and here we are. Tell me, you talk, talk to me about Pearl Jam. Yeah, so Pearl Jam is probably how do I say? This? So Pearl Jam is probably is is my favorite band from the '90s. I guess if we're not calling Beastie Boys a band, 
Or Radiohead a band? A Radiohead is a band. I, I like Pearl Jam more. Pearl Jam for me, Pearl Jam has a, a very deep connection with me. Podcast over. Okay. <laughs> Um, I'll find someone new. It's fine. <laughs> okay, okay. Me, and, me, and, me and Milk Dudley do this. <laughs> Just weather and movies. That's right. <laughs> so what I'm saying yeah, is, go ahead. it shouldn't <laughs> have rained that day. Um, no, uh, so I, I just really love, I, I love Pearl Jam. I, I will say I love Pearl Jam less the older I get. Their last two albums have not been good. Um, but I'm, I mean, I'm the guy that up until the last two albums, I was still listening to Pearl Jam uh, on a regular, you know, I, I really, I hung with them. Like, okay. like I really, I really like their stuff. Um, this versus album is not my favorite Pearl Jam album. Um, what is, is 10? No, no, I, I don't really love 10. I love black. I don't really love the song black. I don't really love 10. Actually. I like versus more than 10. I loved 10 at the time. Loved it. I liked it. Um, I still don't really love it. I, I just, I like their sound uh, like yield is probably my favorite program okay. album. Yeah. Um, Vitology has the best, like the highest peak, but then doesn't it, like it has like the most songs that I love. Like I love Corduroy and I, I just, uh, I love like better man and nothing man is fantastic. Um, Vitology was their last like big album. These that sold 5 million. Yeah. And after that, it was like million dollar well, uh, million, million sales. Okay. That that's, that's true. Yeah. Yield. And then, um, uh, no code, no code. both did pretty well. Uh, uh, the next one, um, Oh, I don't remember what's after that. Oh my that. God. It's the, yeah, it's the one that came out in 2000. It, that, that did terrible. Yeah. That did really bad. Um, and that, that album sucks. That's one of my three least favorite albums of theirs. Um, I basically stopped after Vitology. So oh, this is oh. my contention. You don't like Yield? This is my contention. Okay. My contention is Pearl Jam is Guns N' Roses. They had a five year oh, no. of epic, no. epic, epic peak Terrible and then nothing. Take. And then That's gone. That's a bad take. That's a really bad take. And here's why I say that. Cause you're wrong. Well, 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 let me, let me defend it first before you fucking shit on it. Um, my contention is that they'd never changed. They could never change. They couldn't sound all their song. They can't sound any different than what they sound like from, I mean, slightly, but basically their sound from 10 on is their sound. And that's it. The time changed and they, it passed them by. They lost their fastball to quote you. I disagree. I agree and disagree at the same time. That's so that is a hot take. That's a fucking hot take. What's yours is a hot take? No, yours was I agree and disagree at the it's same not a time. Hot take. A well, hot just, take is like a controversial one. I'm, yeah, I'm, I was I'm sarcastic. Being, I'm being immature. Oh, you're being sarcastic. Yeah. Uh, no, but tell, no, tell me. Sarcasm needs work. So, uh, <laughs> okay. So the, the album that sucks is binaural. The album sucks. Okay. And, that, and that's. I didn't listen. I, I, there's a song called Breaker Fall and the album is, that's phenomenal. The rest of the album is garbage. Um, yeah, they could, but here's the thing. Well, no, let me talk. You can have one song on an album be good. Okay, fine. Every dog has his fucking day, but I, like I to agree. make good albums. I agree. Let me finish. Go ahead. So uh, that album sucks. They kind of, I think they kind of went back to the drawing board. I think they realized that album is garbage. Yeah. Like if you like you'd go to their like live shows or look at their playlist and stuff. I've been to only one Pearl Jam. I saw them in Fenway Park, um, which was awesome. The acoustics aren't great there, but yeah. just seeing Pearl Jam was fan fantastic. Um, but if you, I look, I like to look at the playlist or I listen to some of their live albums and they don't play a ton of stuff. My they know that album sucks. Yeah. So they went back to the drawing board and they did three albums that actually are pretty good. They did um, Riot Act, which is okay. Pearl Jam, which is like self-titled. The album, I think, has a lot of good songs that do have a little bit different sound to them. Okay. Uh, and then they do um, Backspacer, which hits your argument a little bit, which is it, it, Backspacer sounds like what you'd imagine... Um, like yield to sound like it was made in 2009. Like sure. you, that connection's yeah, sure. very like it sounds like a grunge band, that, a really good grunge band in 2009. Um, I I do think their self title one does have some songs that are a little bit different. Um, yeah. I, I always if you're if you're kind of go check. I'll I, go. I will go check I, them out. Check back. that album out. That yeah. album actually is. A, I'm not saying it's wildly different. It's not like Rolling Stones or like Beatles who make who make. It's totally not like different that. albums. All uh, totally different music. Yeah. Yeah, and like those guys made some. Total changes, and I will agree with you. Your major point yeah. is that I, I they have they have a hard time like really changing. Part of it is because Eddie Vedder's uh, vocals. I think that is, is so exactly that was exactly what I was just going to tell you. And the big one of the hardest issues, or one of the biggest issues that they have, is Vedder is very limited. I love. Okay, we're going to get to this in a minute. Vedder is he was the first most influential musician in my life. Okay. He was, and then it, it moved on past that, and I moved on past that. But he was his singing style, extremely influential for me. But he's but he's limited. I mean, he's got he has an. I love his voice. I love his character of his voice. But there's only so much he can do. He's not he's not he's not crafting amazing melodies. Whatever he's got, a, he has a lot of character. He can hit pitch. It's not that he's got. I love his tone, but he's he's limited in what he can do. So you stop listening after Vitology, more or pretty less. much, yeah. But like 
So I have a little bit hard time with that because you say, oh, well, my problem is Pearl Jam is they didn't change. Well, well, I've heard stuff after, like I've heard stuff on the radio. I've heard like their singles that came out afterwards. I'm sure like, I listened Yield to some is a really good album. I'll check it out. And again. It, it does, it, it's different than Vitology, but I, yeah, I see the thing. So Eddie Vedder is limited. Your overall point, once again, is, 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 is right. Okay. But that limitation is so great. It's almost like if a pitcher could throw 104 miles an hour. But that's it? But he can't throw anything off speed. <laughs> right. So it's just you're just sitting on the fastball. But good luck hitting that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, fucking it's hard. quick. Yeah, and um, and it's really good. But yeah, so he, Eddie, if Pearl Jam was a band, they had probably to be a closer because they'd be exposed if they went on, you know. But, but he, I hate I hate knocking Pearl because Pearl Jam is really entertaining. They do really good music. They they I think they are really fun to listen to. But they were exposed. Here's the deal: like if 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 the hair bands were good, they would have survived grunge when that happened in 1990 if the grunge bands wait if the grunge bands were good they would have survived the next evolution of rock which happened in 96 97 they would have survived it and you i mean, mean the bands themselves or the, yeah, or the, or the I, mean genre. The, I mean the music i mean the, people just got tired of the genre exactly that, that's that the happens thing. with everything though things right. change i mean that's right but if you're tired of the genre you're tired of pearl jam pearl jam is grunge that is their style they can't change past that they're not you too they didn't go pop like they just stayed the right. same. They didn't change. And if you right. love that sound, then you stay with them throughout right. the years. If you don't love that sound or you get tired of that sound, I love that sound at the time. And maybe but I, I got tired of it. I mean, I don't, I, I hate the grew up stuff. That's bullshit. I, I mean, my, I don't my, think, no, I mean my, my, uh, they sing about like, they sing about like really like, they, like there's a song about like a spouse dying. Like, there's some like, you know, Oh yeah. Really no, no, I don't mean like stuff. kids. I just mean like, you, my musical tastes evolved because I just got you. I, if I listen to the same stuff over and over, I'm going to get tired of it. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, bands I listen to, you know, like I said, Pearl Jam put out an album this year, Gigaton, and it sucks. Like I'm, yeah. I'd much rather hear the new National album or the new Fiona yeah. Apple album. Oh yeah, or the new Vampire Weekend album. Yes, even. and that even that album is a little bit lackluster. Um, but even that's better than sure the new the new Pearl Jam one. You can and, see them and, trying to evolve. Yeah, I yeah yeah I think Vampire Weekend is trying. It's not, not I don't know if it's working. No, I didn't like this but last like, album. The either, new Heim album. The new, so Heim's a great example. They sound kind of the same in all their, but it's such a good sound. I'm not tired of it yet. Eh. I guess, but there's one song I like from them. But there, there's there, it's 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 tough. I I I I want to disagree more, but my listening habits are agreeing with you more in that. No maybe, shit. Maybe I've just <laughs> of course grown a little bit. Well, but you've heard you've you've heard more expansive music. You I, I like, don't know if that's true. I mean, like I listened to Pearl Jam up music. until like five years ago. I listened to them like on a regular. I know, basis. but then you went to Radiohead and your and like I didn't go to Radiohead five years ago. I went to Radiohead no, no, in the college. No, no, no. But I've I, also I hate, no. to, hate, to, hate to bring it to you, Matt. I'm tired of Radiohead too. No, you're not. Yeah, I am a little bit. Like the, really? the, the fucking weird shit they do. Like, Some we, of the weird we shit. Have, yeah. We can have the radio no, discussion. But what I mean is, the, but, but Radiohead's no. cliff is way steeper fall off than Pearl Jam's. No, not at all. No, yes. In rainbows you and after. You sound like Fuck me. That. You sound like me. No, no, no. Their range is huge. Think about where they were with Pablo Honey. Now they just sound like insane people. They're just like they have no impact on music anymore. Like, well, okay, yeah. The Benz, OK Computer, brilliant stuff. And I'm sure someone's saying Vitology and in versus, rainbows, amazing. Both amazing albums. Their albums now, it's just like weird, like well, we, noises well, we and shit. But what I mean by that is the palette of, of the pal sonic palette that you heard from OK Computer or, or in general, or the Benz is way greater than what Pearl Jam did. All I'm saying is your okay. listening comprehension changed. So here's the thing. From a kid. I, I guess, I, I don't know. But here's the thing is that I agree with you. Their music sounds different. I disagree with you though. Radiohead's lyrics are, are not... Pearl Jam's lyrics have evolved way more than Radiohead. Oh have. yeah, Radiohead speaks to me way, way clearer than than Pearl Jam does. But you haven't what? listened to anything since like they were twenty five. See, that's the problem is you're not listening to them now. I you haven't know. listened to their like last five albums, I got which are. But they sing about. I'm sure really I heard it. I just don't remember them. They're not memorable. This is I like, listen. This is like like our. Like when we had Kirkman and uh, like he loves Bruce Springsteen and Bruce Springsteen sounds fucking the same. He sounds, in my opinion, he sounds the same in the seventies as he does now. Yeah, basically. But his lyrics though are have evolved. Like he's become like a he. I think they have. Oh, he sings about yeah. a lot deeper. He, anyone fine. Would. That's not enough for me. Fine, that's not enough. Like it just the what someone says is not like that's. I'm not a huge Bob Dylan fan. I don't like the delivery. I don't like the songs that he creates. People think he's a great lyricist. I think he's rambly personally. But I didn't grow up in that time period. I didn't grow up in the beat time period. Um, but he doesn't connect to me lyrically. But even if he did, I would still I not like his music. I don't think you're a big lyrics. So like Bob no, Dylan's, I am. Sometimes Bob Dylan's lyrics really speak to me. Other times you can tell he just doesn't give a fuck, which is happening more and more, I think. But some of his stuff to me is like, oh, that's beautifully written. 
Yeah, he, style, Paul like, Simon, he's a wonderful lyricist. Brilliant lyricist. Love Paul Simon. Me too. It's different. Yeah. Different, and, different. and he evolved. He evolved. Yep. Oh, yeah. From Simon and Garfunkel days all the way through fucking Graceland, of course, and past and beyond. Pearl Jam's sound didn't evolve enough. I do agree with you on that. Yeah. I, I do think, though, they are by far, and I'm going to say this right now. I don't care if you like Nirvana or not. They are by far the best grunge band. I like them better than Nirvana, no doubt. They are yeah. better than... Uh, any other grunge band. Now, I'm saying all these things, and I'm going to get killed for my Pearl Jam take. I know I am. I hope I'm so. I'm totally going to get killed. But they were so important to me growing up. Not and we'll get into that. You stop listening to them. Um, when I was a kid, when I was 14 through 18 years old, they were extremely influential to me. But let's talk about Daughter first, then okay. we'll get into that. So, the cool one of the cool things about Daughter is the main section. That, and then this. That's the whole song. It's those two parts this over is, this, and over. This is gonna be tough for me. This is not my favorite song. I, but I, no, but I like this song. I like Daughter. The song's okay. No, I, I'm not saying it's the best on the album. Elderly not, Woman. Elderly Go, woman, I don't like it as much. Dissident, that doesn't hold up songs. as well. Dissident is better. Yeah, there's, there's. This, this is like middle. I mean, of the I like Animal. Me. I like, I like a bunch of the songs on this album. Yeah, this, uh, this, this song is gonna be. This isn't my favorite. Well, that's fine. Yeah, but, but what I like about it is it. Okay, it definitely holds up better than me, better to me than Elderly Woman does. I just. Oh, I, I like Elderly Woman more. No, I don't anymore. I used to play it. Like I know how to, you know, I used to play that song. I used to cover it, but this holds up better. Um, it, but it's only two sections over and over, and I, I find that extremely compelling. Oh, right. That I, I never, I never realized that mm. when I was listening to it at the time, because it was interesting enough. It was interesting enough. Yeah. Um, I also don't think they do a great job of recording this song. Uh, like all the points I was making about Pearl Jam yeah. are kind <laughs> of fall flat on this song. I don't. I was a little disappointed when, like, when I saw it, I was like Pearl Jam. I was like, oh cool, we're gonna do Pearl Jam this week. And I was and like, it was daughter. oh, my daughter's like, oh fuck, here we go. Yeah. I'm sorry, buddy. It's fine. It's not a song I hate. I got to listen to it. It's fine, but it's not, it's not a song I'm excited to hear about like, here anymore. Like, if I never heard it again the rest of my life, I'm fine. So this album got like five Grammy nominations and this song got one. I uh, got one. Didn't get it, but uh, but got a Grammy. Um, only two sections. The cool thing about, the other cool thing about the song is it's an open guitar tuning. And this speaks to like one of the cool things about guitar. We talked about this before, I think briefly, but... A guitar, you know, any stringed in instrument, you can change the tuning of the strings. Now there's a standard tuning for a guitar. It's E, A, D, G, B, E, whatever. Um, but when you play guitar in that tuning all the time, that gets a little stale for me too. Like I know what it sounds like. When someone plays like a C chord on a guitar, I know that's a C chord, not because I have perfect pitch and I know all the pitches, but because I can hear the shape in my head. I see the, the finger shape on the fretboard. It's just like the way the notes are stacked or okay. like I can do that. But when you, um, but one of the interesting things you can do is you can tune the guitar differently so that it has, um, so it gives you a different tonality. So this is the open tuning that they use. It's tuned to an open G. Okay. Um, which changed the whole like timbre of the, of the instrument. So that's something that, that speaks to me too. It's, it's, it's a totally different sound to have an open tuning sounding guitar. Um, there are other songs that are written in the uh, open G tuning. It's a Zeppelin. That's that's the way. Oh, okay. You might also know um, my favorite Stone song. Keith Richards did this all the time. The open G. Here we go. Also, the OPG tune. Such a great song. Yeah, I love it. It's my favorite. Keith Richards loved open tuning. This is the best loved part it. of the movie Blow. Which oh, yeah. This yeah. Is how it, I think it's how it opens, right? Does it open with it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. So that's uh, Can't You Hear Me Knocking by The Stones. Such a great song. So good. Such a great but song. But people, what happened? Well, I, I don't know when this started happened, but Zeppelin is was big on changing up um, guitar tunings, Especially, particularly in their in their open to in their sorry in their acoustic songs. When you hear them like Over the Hills and Far Away, when you hear like a bunch of their you you hear the, a bunch of them are, are open. Are you tunings. a big Zeppelin guy? Bigger now than I was growing up. I really appreciate their writing. 
really appreciate it. I do too. So there's an album called uh, Encomium, which was cover songs mm. of by alternative bands. This came out in the 90s. I might have. Of, of Led Zeppelin songs. And I really enjoyed that because I, I, for some reason, the Led Zeppelin sound doesn't quite click to me. But there, you could tell by by when other people cover them in a different kind of sound. I'm like, oh, well, this is written really well. This is really well. These guys are craftsmen. I get it now. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I don't really seek out Led Zeppelin a lot. If Zeppelin were recording now, like you know, same band, knew the same time period or whatever, but had the same like recording techniques now, they would they would sound phenomenal. The prop. The problem for me is is they just didn't have the same the good enough equipment back then to to really capture what they were doing. Um, but. I really appreciate, particularly the acoustic playing. The acoustic writing is awesome. Um, Cashmere, such a like that's another open tuning, cool. It's a good song. Cool one. What's the other one that I? Um, oh, it'll come to me later. There's another. Be- oh, rain song. Be- I use that tuning all the time. Do you know that? Do you know that? it doesn't matter. Uh, they do a lot of open tunings, um, but this one's in G, and I think, and this to me, daughter sounds very Zeppelin. Sounds very that's the way to me. It's like there's a lot of parallels to there with the with the way that the, the guitar sounds, the way that they were playing that. I bet they were fans. Um, they are, because they've covered those Zeppelin songs before. Have they? In concerts, yeah. And that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess that's it about the song. I, we talked a lot about Pearl Jam. We talked about... Good. Uh, yeah. Good. Okay, cool. So, but I do want to continue with the thread that they were so important to me. Okay. Um, so, we've talked about before, I've been a musician for forever. Some of my earliest memories of me are of me singing when I turned like eight or nine years old, I started playing clarinet. That's where I learned how to read music. And I always, I loved every part, all the nuts and bolts. I loved the performance, the technical part of it. I just loved it all. But when I, but singing really has always been my priority. I just feel like that I can express better with my voice than anything else. And I think I've got a good tone. So, you know, I have my, the most confidence there. But when I was 13 or 14 years old, I, I, I would sing to the radio all the time. I decided like, I don't want the radio in the way anymore. Nothing. So I started playing guitar. Okay. And that, and I even started like when I was 13 or 14, I, st- I started writing as well too. Um, but I didn't really have, like I was listening, the, my, the songs and the, the musicians that were really important to me at the time were either my parents' music or top 40. I didn't really know. I didn't, it's, it's like I wasn't making the choices for myself until 10 came out. Okay. When I yeah. saw... Um, I don't know. Like, wasn't like never mind. Was. No, hmm. nope. It was ten, and then and then I listened to Nirvana yeah. afterwards. Yeah, and I like. I'm not. I'm not a huge Nirvana. I like, I like some of it. I'm not a huge. Yeah. The sound doesn't. It's too grating. I actually like in utero more than Nevermind, but yeah, there's some good stuff. But I'm the same way. Nirvana. The sound it's, is grating. Yeah. It doesn't. Do I it. saw Nirvana in concert. That was a cool thing to see. Did he you really? Pi- yeah, he was pissed. Where did you see him? Uh, I saw him in Worcester. I can't remember what. Really? The, yeah. Uh, at a, at a, I can't remember where the, what the place How was. How old were you? I was, it was my freshman year in high school. I was friends with a guy who was 16 years old. We, and, uh, and a group of us, he, so he could drive. We went down together and yeah. And we saw, um, we saw the breeders open up for them. Do oh, you remember wow. Yeah. Uh, Cannonball, I think is their, yeah, Cannonball their is their hit. Yeah. Um, Cobain was pissed. I think the night before people were throwing things at him at the oh, stage. Jesus. I don't know why. Okay. And it's like someone threw a shoe at him. And he ended up getting pissed at this show too and left the stage with his guitar on feedback for like 20 minutes. Oh. Yeah, it was, it was kind of shitty actually. I was like, well, this isn't fun. Not really. Anyway, but 10, like 10, it connected. And then watching them uh, on the, the uh, they did MTV Acoustic. What was it? Uh, Unplugged. Unplugged, yep. Um, those things are like so formative for me. And, and so I'm learning to sing and Vetter, I'm like, I need to sound... I need to sound like better. Sure. And I did like, I think, and I think when you're learning, the first thing you do is you start, you mimic people kind of like, I didn't sound like better, but I, but just, right, right, you know, yeah. I was going for his style. And even if you, I probably still have these somewhere, but some, my earliest songs were probably very Pearl Jam similar. Yeah. Like it must've been, you know, we're sorry. We're in the, in that like kind of genre. Um, so then, so he was my number one, first most influential musician and them as a band was, was number one. And then okay. Computer, uh, with uh, Radiohead, and then Rufus Wainwright with poses and then Jeff Buckley with grace. And that's, that's my top four, Okay, but they started it for me. And it's funny because I think you hear my, my music and my taste evolve. Just like, just like though, like those are such big, 
like monumental points in my musical life, hearing those albums, hearing those people. And most of them are just one album. It's 10. Uh, that's it. It's uh, it's Grace because Buckley died after that. Radiohead's different. Rufus Wainwright had two albums that, that are really huge for me. But but they're mostly like monumental albums in these monumental bands in my life that cha- like changed my music forever. But he was, but Vetter was the first and Pearl Jam was the first. So. Okay. That's what I have to say about that. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, this album is my first CD. Um, yeah. And it did, it did mean a lot to me, but I, I would say I became more of a huge Pearl Jam fan, uh, late high school, like when Yield came out or really? Vitology and Yield. I have such vivid memory. Did you watch channel one in like homeroom as a kid? No. Channel one was like a, they broadcast, uh, it, it was, uh, was Lisa Ling on that? Um, oh, I think you're right. Anderson Cooper. Uh, yeah. 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 It was like his right, first yeah. thing, I think. Um, I remember them talking about Pearl Jam and like showing program in the homeroom, like seeing seeing them on on the TV then, and of course MTV and stuff. But that, like that's such a vivid memory of me. I, mean, I, got, me. I said I got the a CD of ten, but it, didn't, it clicked me a little. I said I really, I still really love the song Black, but it didn't really click with me. But then, um, uh, the, you know, and I got verses, and I had yeah, Vi- Vitology really clicked with me. But then you know, Yield really at that point in my life. That's interesting. Really, really hit me. I don't think and I know. I know, what, I know I'm not the norm. The norm, yeah, you know, people ten ten. And, yeah, it's like the thing, but uh, yeah, I uh, and maybe that's why I, I don't know. I the, the lyrics just really, really spoke, especially college, early twenties, even into my later twenties when they came out with those other albums. Yeah, uh, um, I, I was like, oh no, I'm really, yeah, yeah. My entire twenties was very Pearl Jam. Was very Pearl Jam. I, Pearl yeah, it was Jam, earlier yeah. for me. It was earlier for me. Okay, got a. Milk Dudley weather report. <laughs> yes, you love it. This is the only weatherman who tells weather after it happens. Uh, <laughs> does he? <laughs> he does. Um, okay. he has some jokes in here too, which is which is great. Wait, he wrote the jokes? Uh, yep. Um, <laughs> you stand by him. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I'm reading them. Uh, a storm system tracked from the Texas coast to Mid Atlantic in this week, in December of '93. Yeah, making a white Christmas for half the U.S. Less far fetched than the plot of the Pelican Brief. That's the movie we're covering on Saturday. So it's yeah. kind, of, kind of making a we'll review to, about Pelican Brief. So we'll, we'll talk. Maybe about I'll that. laugh about that after I see the movie again. Snow accumulated <laughs> uh, as far south as Atlanta. It got Atlanta, Georgia got three inches of snow. That's a lot for them. And Asheville, North Carolina got seven inches. Wow. Um, Buffalo, New York got fourteen. Well, yeah. Um, he says as exciting as the beginning of the week was. The second half of the week was as listless as the second half of Tombstone. So another kind of review. Oh, is that what that was? I think so. You call I, that a review? I, huh? I disagree with. When with was that. the last time he saw it? I don't milk. know. I did. I didn't. Didn't. I didn't think. Uh, you talking bad about Tombstone Milk? Yeah, I don't know about that. A bad take by, by Milk there. Uh, <laughs> he does say so. Interesting temperatures though. Uh, Billings, Montana, fifty-four degrees. Yep, which is pretty warm. For it them. is warm for them. And uh, Roseau, Minnesota, negative twenty-four. That's that's tough. Um, and I have headlines. So All right. That was, of course, Milk Dudley, the weatherman who tells the weather after it happens. Thank you for bookending. That with the explanation for I it. I like that. Right? It's funny. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so um, there actually was I think some fun headlines this week. Okay. Okay. So on December twentieth, Fox won the NFL rights from TBS from CBS. Excuse me. Uh, okay. This changed the landscape, you know, really for the NFL, but really more so for Fox. So oh, this, yeah. this put Fox to the map. So for years, it was um, CBS and NBC had uh, NFL rights, and ABC had Monday Night Football. Um, so. Uh, but NBC had what NBC had the AFC. Was that what it was? And CBS had the NFC. They split by league? Yes. Or by- and it was that forever. Okay. And then Fox came in and gave the NFL such a gigantic offer that NFL couldn't say no. And CBS was completely blindsided. And Fox got the NFC, which they still have today. Four years later, yeah. CBS Real because their their uh, whole lineup took a they major hit. Reeling, they oh they were shocked. They were completely yeah. blindsided. Yeah, they went and they stole the AFC from <laughs> NBC. Fuck you, which NBC. left them, and NBC still really hasn't has had trouble coming back from it from a sports perspective. Sure. Um. So that's why they have the Sunday Night Football. Uh. They finally got it. They got it mm. back. Um. You know, a few. You know, well, I guess a decade or so ago. But um. Did yeah. Did that put Fox on the map? Because what they have before then? Simpsons. So Fox had the Simpsons. They had Twenty One Jump Street. Right. You had and DC and I talked about it on the Minifan show. Okay. Um. But we talked about how Fox started nine oh two and oh. They yeah, had, yeah, yeah. But none of these shows, maybe a Simpsons. None of these shows, other than Simpsons, were really top twenty hits. Um. And they just they were they were not the giant behemoths. They had the NFL though, and they became uh like they started winning rating books. 
um, for the weeklies. And, you know, yeah. Fox, is, Fox has had yearly as they've won. Fox, for some several seasons, have had the most watch of any, because American Idol. Yeah. And then they got baseball. Yep. But baseball wouldn't have gone to... The level of the NFL. To, uh, no, not that. Baseball wouldn't have gone to Fox, I don't think, unless Fox got the NFL first. Oh, really? I don't think so. Unless they gave baseball such a crazy offer that they couldn't mm. say no. But MLB felt much more comfortable sliding into Fox than they did if NFL... NFL took a pretty big risk. It was a... They, they, they basically doubled the offer that they were getting, so it was a no-brainer yeah, for them on some it. level. But it also could have really hurt their product. But what's the risk to... Oh, because people would associate it with the other st- stuff what on Fox, Fox, and then they would What if Fox had, def- like, a 14-year-old calling games? Fox at that time was known for stunts. Yeah. So yeah, what yeah. if they had, you know, so, so a bikini, a, like oh. a, some, some blonde bimbo... Yeah, but does Fox have the sole authority of who calls the games? Do you think the NFL? Do you think the NFL doesn't have any say on that? I think they do have some say. So I know the I know the NFL was very happy when then Fox went in and basically just took a lot of the people doing the CBS stuff. Yeah. So they, they immediately went and got Matt and Summerall. They immediately went and got a lot of these guys that were now unemployed, and they went and brought them over. But sure. they, they did also incorporate some younger people, and you know you had um you know, Tom Brenneman and um you know I think Joe Buck. Joe, Joe Buck might have started with the baseball, but they did the same thing with baseball, too. They brought in a lot of these younger guys. Chip Carey, sure. who I don't particularly like, yeah. but they would incorporate younger guys with older guys. Fox did a really good job melding these two, making it seem not young and edgy, but making it seem not as typical, boring sure. way of doing it, right. but also keeping a high quality. And Fox, did, I like personally CBS's telecast of NFL games now um, than I do Fox's. Who is it? I don't, I don't no, know. No, I mean, I just like their, oh, you, their look. Oh, okay. Just okay. how the, the games look. And how they sound typically. Okay. I, I think Fox is probably last on my list of. Mm. I think NBC does a better job too. Um, but uh, and I'm not talking about the announcing crew. I'm just talking I about see. how it looks, yeah, yeah. Uh, how it's shot and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Fox at that time though, I think did a really good job. In the '90s, Fox really had had a great did a great. That's job interesting. That. Yeah. Um, on December 21st, after losing a 78 million dollar lawsuit in St. Louis, Domino's ended their 30 minutes or less campaign. Really. The woman was hit by a Domino's driver in 1989, but the lawsuit didn't actually, you know, come into play, I guess, you know, probably got, you know, whatever. Yeah, it takes uh, a while. Until 93. And then Domino's, after they lost that, they lost that judgment and they immediately went to, they, they ended their, their 30 minutes. So they were, campaign. so they said, so the lawsuit was, okay, they're, they're making their drivers drive too fast. Right. And so then they're not a bank. The company's liable they're, because they're putting, because they're. 70, that seems. That seems insane, right? That seems insane for that type of I thing. I don't know what her injuries were. Or what, I believe she was alive. But, um, so, uh, and this is funny, just goes to show that the world never really changes. There was fear this week that North Korea has a nuclear weapon. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Just never, just never happens. <laughs> right. um, that's a headline. Yeah, so, you're right. That was fun. That was some interesting ones, right? <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was fun. Excuse well, the poor lady got hit by a Domino's well, driver. No, but it was funny to talk about Domino's. Domino's pizza. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, so we're back uh, Saturday, Saturday with uh, the Pelican, Pelican Brief. And another song. Uh, Shoop by Salt and Pepper. Shoop by Salt and Pepper. Anything else? It's all I got. Okay, catch you then. See you.